from Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. But welcome to Stay Paid. This is... Yeah, this is Stay Paid. This is Josh. And this is Luke. And if you can't tell, I've lost my voice. Can you tell? I can tell your voice is a little... It's little a little quiet. shot. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. What happened? It's, it's, no, it's you weird. You no conferences? It's weird. No nothing, concerts? Nothing happened. No, nothing. Nothing happened. I was here till about, I guess, 1030 last night doing some work. And Graz Tired, was here man. and You're Nick exhausted. was here. You weren't here, dude. We were, we were missing you. We no. were like, where's Josh? The team is here and Josh <laughs> is not here. Nick, our VP of sales. Mike, our VP of ops. But our VP of marketing was nowhere, nowhere to, to be, be found. found. Nowhere to be found. But I don't know. I woke up today and now my voice is shot. But this is going to be a good podcast anyways. Yeah. I will still keep it hyped. I got my Monster Energy drink. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast. We're going to take a break a little bit from the sales and marketing side of things. We're going to turn towards team building. So today here on the podcast... We have Alan Berkeley. He is a commercial banker focusing on helping businesses with their financial growth, debt structure, and cash flow management. But his passion, and what we're going to focus here on the podcast today, is talking about how culture can make a positive impact on an organization's top and bottom line. I know we have a lot of listeners, your brother included, Luke, who's leading a team, trying to grow a team, running an office or a branch, constantly looking to not only hire great talent, but how do you retain them, keep them engaged, and then from a business owner standpoint, really understand how much to invest in that, what the return is going to look like, what do the numbers actually look like there. So it's going to be great. We're going to dig into this with you, Alan, because I know you spent a lot of time really quantifying the value of employee engagement, what that means to be uh, to the profitability of a company. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As a loyal subscriber to your podcast, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Alan, we appreciate you subscribing. I actually had the privilege of getting to know Alan a little bit. Um, he's part of a radio show called Executive Leader Radio. And I got the honor of being interviewed there. And that was the first time I, I got to meet Alan. And it's interesting, this topic of culture, you know, as I've kind of done, you know, this business with Reminder Media and had the privilege of leading people, I always tell people now, the hardest part of business is people. Like it is the hardest. People ask me all the time, what's the hardest part about your job? I'd say it's people. It's 100% of the time, it's always people that are the hardest part. But the key to business and business itself is people. Mm-hmm. So it's such, a, it's such an interesting thing because most of us approach business from product standpoint. We go yeah. in and we think we're going to be inventors and create these ideas and, pro- and we focus purely on whether it's transactional products, all those things. And you don't realize that truly if you focus on people, all the other things, not that they're ancillary, but they're kind of ancillary, those will all fall into place yep. once you build a firm foundation of people. So before we dive into the topic, Alan, kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Give your story, you know, what you're doing now, how you got into commercial banking and really running a team. Give people a little bit of taste of who you are. Sure. Uh, do I can tell you right now, I run a commercial banking group that covers uh, from Meridian Bank. Uh, we're headquartered out of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're a, uh, you know, we recently completed an IPO about a year and a half ago, and uh, which was a real success for us. We've grown. We've just crossed over this past first quarter. We've grown uh, organically the entire time. This is not by acquisition. We've just crossed over the billion-dollar mark, so that is absolutely huge for us. <laughs> oh, and, wow. and that right there 
is a, is a testament to our CEO's ability, which is Chris Annis, uh, his ability to go ahead and build the right teams, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not only, you know, we, we specialize as a bank in the commercial space. So the, uh, the middle market and small business space is really where our wheelhouse is. And what Chris has done for the, for the, you know, the bank at large, uh, what he did was he brought in a team and we've now gone out and we've got a lot of experienced people, but we start with a ground up model where we, we get people out of college. Uh, they often, they, uh, they do internships with us and then they graduate and I'll walk you through the progression of what a commercial lender and a commercial team leader does in, in a moment. But, you know, the fact that we're, we've been around for 15 years. We just had our 15th uh, birthday, if you will, uh, a few days ago, in fact. 15 and so years to be able to cross dollars, <laughs> 15 years, a billion dollars, that really shows that. <laughs> and, and I tell this to businesses, that is a testament to not only our ability to attract commercial relationships, but retain it. Right. It's one thing to bring business in and you could, you know, we're all sales guys here. We can give people great sales pitches. But at the end of the day, if you're not properly servicing people and, and the business is running around the back door, you know, it's all for not. Totally. Uh, and say for people too, if you're bringing in employees, and again, I'll get into all this, if you're bringing in employees and it's just a constant turnover, you know, the book of business that they bring, well, guess what? The book follows them out the door as well. So right. it's very, very short lived. But uh, as probably most bankers will tell you, we, we actually don't grow up saying, I want to be a banker. <laughs> um, that's, I know it's a novel idea, right? Uh, you know, and unfortunately, lately, banks have been making, uh, especially since the, you know, the Great Recession, banks have been making headlines for all the wrong reasons. Mm. So I think right now, bankers, uh, you know, mortgage bankers, commercial bankers, and so forth, I like to think the mortgage bankers worse than the commercial bankers, uh, are, are certainly maybe lower than lawyers at this point. So. <laughs> Uh, no comment. Joke, way, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so you know, I grew up as a Jersey Shore kid. Grew okay. up uh, going to the beach every day. I actually, grew up uh, went to a grade school that was probably about a block and a half off the beach. So it's really kind of cool to have uh, your you know your your phys ed classes and your science classes. You know, go and pick up crabs and so forth on, on the beach. Really, really cool. Not a lot of people could do that. Uh, so I knew when I wanted to go away to school, uh, my mom was you know went to Penn. You know, so of course it was, you know, you're going to go to Penn. Uh, and, and for me, I wanted, you know, just big and warm. I wanted sun and fun in the whole nine yards. Well, I went to Arizona State, so you get a lot of sun and you get a lot of fun and you get a lot of sand like we do on the beach, just no water. <laughs> so it's completely dry. So I'm at Arizona State and, you know, I'm studying econ and philosophy, which was, you know, philosophy was more of a, uh, both of them were passions. Uh, my mom had graduated and basically said, hey, look, take us. You know, study things that are of interest to you because at the end of the day, when you get into the workforce, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to be one of 30 candidates. And it's, you know, quite frankly, it's who they like. You know, mm-hmm. who do they think that they could, you know, enjoy on the team? And, and to that, to this day, that, that's resonated with me because when I go to market and I'm talking to, uh, to new businesses, you know, I flat out tell them, look, guys, you know, if you're talking to me, you're talking to four or five other different banks. So it's no different you know, seeing my proposal here, everyone's right around the same pricing rate structure and so forth. Uh, so it's really no different. So you're going to have, just like you were hiring a key person for your organization, you're going to have, you know, five different resumes and everyone's going to be qualified. You're going to have five different commercial banking proposals on the table and all of them are going to look good. And I always tell people, look, I'll be honest with you. I want you to choose the same way you would choose a key employee. They're all equally qualified. So pick someone that you feel you can really work with that you really enjoy their time. And, and that's what I would just simply ask of the bank that you choose. So thankfully for me, knock on wood, I win much more than I lose. 
Uh, and it's, you know, quite frankly, it's to, it's to, it gets back to the team, but it, we have an absolutely great team here. Um, and we win by strength and numbers. We can bring out a team of talent and everyone who have great personalities and are very competent with what they do. But getting back to, you know, my mom's advice is she says, you know, go pick a major that you think you like. So I study econ, study philosophy. And, uh, you know, now I graduate and, uh, you know, fast forward, I, I come back east, which lo and behold, as beautiful as Arizona State is, you know, most people that go out to the Phoenix area, you get out there, it's beautiful, but uh, not many people go to Arizona State from the state of Arizona. And in fact, I had this person tell me, um, you know, freshman year, you're living in the dorms, and they said, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to stay here past, you know, six, seven years. Right. No snow, no leaves to rake, nothing. <laughs> you know, it's sunny all the time, but it becomes like Groundhog's Day, believe it or not. Yeah. I remember I came back east and I think it was the springtime. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is so amazing. Just to see a change of season. So moved back and uh, I joined actually. Yeah, we, we, we talked about this uh, a little bit uh, earlier before we were recording, but I was actually the uh, I was a junior compliance person for, uh, for ING Securities. And I thought, wow, this would be great. You know, if I ever want to move back out to Arizona, you know, ING Funds, I believe, is the, the whole family of INGs at the time, uh, was out of Scottsdale. So my gosh, this, this is perfect. You know, I'll cut my teeth here, and then if I ever want to move, I can relocate, stay within the same company. This is great. Uh, things don't always go as planned. And uh, next thing you know, I found myself uh, working on the kind of underwriting loans, underwriting home equity loans. And not that there's anything wrong with home equity loans, but it just wasn't what I was was uh, was kind of set up for, um, and I had a friend in the group that says, "Hey, you know, I have, I have a friend of mine over at First Union, and he works downtown, and I go downtown, and you know, guys wearing a nice spiffy suit, and says, oh, you can make a ton of money doing this.' So, wow, okay, this is cool. You know, I knew nothing about banking, and uh, you know, so I walk in, and you know, early on, um, you know, I, you know, looking back, I, uh, I, I don't know why I raised my hand and said this, but it worked out well. I you know, kind of raised my hand and said. Is there anything else I could do here? Yeah, yeah this this really is isn't really piquing my interest. Which you know, nowadays you go to employers and you tell them that, and they're thinking, oh, you know, this kid, he thinks he's you know better than the position that he has. <laughs> so they actually they, they gave me pretty much like a, a, a almost a, you know in small business they do, which in small business at most banks for the most part credit exposure less than a half a million dollars. Um, but there's a there's a number of different parameters, but that's kind of a you know, a, a loose way that's across the, uh, you know, across the, the U.S. of well, they define small business from a banking standpoint. So they, they pretty much give you a one-page scoring, uh, on credit scoring, and if you, you pull off different segments of a, you know, personal tax return and a business tax return. And the guy gave it to me and basically says, look, if you could figure this out and you think you're going to like talking to businesses, uh, you know, you join my group. So I was like, yeah, anything was better than what I was doing. Um, you know, it was nothing against it, but it was, you know, opening up uh, accounts, balancing people's checkbooks. It just really wasn't, wasn't my speed. And, uh, you know, from there, I was successful. They had a program back then where if you had reached your goals for two consecutive years, it had to be consecutive, so you couldn't, you know, kind of have the whipsaw and sandbag and so forth. So two consecutive years, what they would do is they would sponsor you for something. Hmm. And uh, I, I remember at the time we had our, our wealth our wealth group was saying, well, you know, you should, we should sponsor you and groom you for wealth. And, um, you know, and then I had another person that was, you know, was working on the, the corporate banking deals. Uh, and those were the really sexy deals that you see within the market. And they're, they're, everyone recognizes the brands. And, and she did that. 
And she said, look, Alan, I mean, take them up on the credit program because credit is, is worth its weight in gold. Uh, so you, you know, I knew I, you know, I, I wasn't an accounting major, but I, you know, took enough uh, of, to, to understand my way around accounting. And I went into credit and most of it is accounting. I mean, most of my job right now, uh, from the technical standpoint, is about 80% accounting, 20% finance. So don't get me started uh, on accounting. Everybody knows how I, feel I, I know, accounting. I know. <laughs> so I, I took them up on the credit training program and uh, I was in it and it was great. And I understood the significance of it. You know, the, you know, it, it really is worth it. Go through, especially a major bank at the time. I think we were Rockwell at the time, and um, I remember I had graduated from from that program, and uh, I went to her, and of course, I, you know, I think I know everything, and uh, yeah, I'd go there, and she'd quickly point out that I don't know much. Uh, so she goes, "Look, if you're really serious, uh, you know, go and join, become an analyst somewhere." So I went to. I could have either stayed there and might mean nothing to you, but spreads is basically taking a number of different. Uh, uh, fiscal periods and, you know, presenting it in a, a horizontal analysis. So you, and you're, it's just basically data entry. And you Sounds there riveting. And, <laughs> and the people, you know, it's, it's one of those jobs, they're career credit people uh, at the time, Wachovia, and like one person will retire and there'll be 20 people competing for that one position. You just go to a community bank and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll do everything. And that is so true. I mean, you did every, I started in not only doing the spreads, but starting to do write-ups. And I realized as, as much as I, I, I thought I knew from, you know, coming through a big credit training program. Right. Uh, I, you know, I think I got my first write-up back and my boss gave me, at, this is being generous, a D minus on my, my first paper. And a guy that uh, who actually works with me now, uh, he works on another team, you know, took me aside and says, don't feel bad, Alan. I think I got the same. I mean, it was all, it was all covered in blue. Um, now I'm in that position where now I, the guys that, uh, that report up to me, I, I cover, I don't do red. I think he did his in red. Now I do mine in all blue. So it's not as bad. Softening like it, it, the blow. So are, are you blow giving again. D minuses now? <laughs> What's that? Are yes, you giving now D minuses now? Yeah. <laughs> some, some people get it. So Well, that's one of the hardest <laughs> parts of when you're motivating a team is giving negative, constructive feedback. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's because I've, I've, I've been there. I've been in their shoes. I've been in the credit person's shoes. And, uh, you know, I, you get the tap. If you have a halfway decent personality in credit, you'll get the tap on the shoulder and say, hey, do you, you want to come out in the line and manage your yeah. portfolio? And, and then from there, hey, do you want to, you know, I mean, really essentially half of my job uh, from, from a relationship management standpoint. And, uh, and I'm a producing team leader, by the way, so okay. I still maintain portfolio for myself. Uh, it's a great position to be in because I get to pick and choose the companies that I want to bank right. uh, versus handing them off to other guys on the team. But, um, you know, so you, you get the tap on the shoulder, decent personality, let's, you know, give the kid a shot. And, you know, half of my job is developing business for the bank. That's where we make our, any new business across, you know, any industry you're in, that's the lifeblood of every business. Right. And then uh, managing portfolio. And that's the credit aspect of that. Gotcha. And then if you're successful at that, I, uh, you know, I recently I left a larger bank and the, the same person that gave me the tap on the shoulder was at Meridian and he's running CNI banking, which is commercial and industrial banking and said, Hey, look, we, uh, we're looking to expand our, our footprint and uh, I'd like you to run the, um, you know, the Philadelphia and uh, one of the, the neighboring counties, Delaware County, uh, that particular market. And uh, I'd like you to hire up your team. And, uh, you know, I knew some good guys from the banks that I had worked with in the past. And, you know, thankfully, we all enjoyed such a really kind of good rapport that uh, they, they said yes, which was always a, a nice thing. And then I had another individual who was, you know, his version of me, you know, 15 years earlier when you're graduating the credit group. 
and uh, now you're ready to you know start to be a you know quote unquote junior lender. Mm. So that's that's how I ended up where I am today. Now, how big is your team? My team right now is uh, is three people. Okay. So we keep them in, in small pods, and, and essentially what we do is we'll have um, you know we'll have myself, uh, we'll have some lenders, and then we'll have a relationship assistant, which okay. is you know basically like when I'm out on calls. Um, she's there in the background. She's basically me without any sales goals. Okay. That makes um, sense. So she's, she's absolutely great at what I do. And, and quite frankly, she's the reason I look good in front of people. Uh, she's the, she's the glue that holds everything together. And then I, I have, um, also, uh, support staff on the retail side with regards to the, depo- uh, the deposit accounts and the deposit products and yep. so forth. Gotcha. And, and she, she is absolutely a stud as well. So I've got two great women that, I, that I work with that really keep me afloat. So, you know, when you think of like culture, because I'm curious to get your take on this, right? Because, you know, this is what everybody's trying to build. They're trying to build a great culture. What does culture mean to you? How, how would you describe it? Culture is it's a behavior. I mean, it's uh, I, I like to, uh, you know, I'm not a, a Ohio State fan. You know, they, they beat us in the Rose Bowl. But Jim Tressel once said that uh, leadership isn't a position or rank. Um, it's not a title. It's a behavior, and it really is a behavior of serving others, and that to me is a culture. The culture is when you when you look around any organization, understand that we're all a, a clear thing that any business has to have is an overarching mission. What, what are we here for? You know, the mission isn't as simple as we want to make the owner money. I would think, but that's that's right. there, there is a there is a greater good, and when you look around, you know, you look to your left, you look to your right, uh, you you. The people that you work with, they're in the foxhole with you. So, I mean, they're, they're in there. We're, look, we're, we're, we're taking bullets. Um, you know, and that, that's just the reality of it. So we're all in this together. So that's, that, that for me is culture. It's a behavior. It, it's the, really the, and they're, they're resonating behaviors. They're, they're, they're behaviors that are grounded in altruism. It's, it's caring about one another, not simply sticking care of behaviors, right. uh, which is, well, if you, those work, but those work on a very short term. And when and when someone once asked me about uh, you know how would you you know what would be the benefit of having a, a sustainable high performance culture for any organization, I simply looked at him and said this: Look, let me ask you something. Do you like making money? Yeah. Now let me ask you another question: Do you like making money over a sustainable basis, not just choppy interval basis, but over a sustainable long term basis? Yeah, I like the sound of that. And I said, well, would you like it even better if I told you that you could do that right now and you could do it at very little cost to what you already have going on? You know, I said, well, absolutely. And, and that's essentially what it is. Uh, these aren't stick and carrot is you're, you're overpaying for talent, right? Mm. Uh, and, and again, you know, everyone knew what our bonus was last year. We, we in our minds, um, you know, we, we feel like we've always worked harder the next year and we always feel like you know, we're always, I mean, again, it's a cognitive bias. We're anchored in our last, our last salary and or bonus. That's it's a just, great so point. That's, so it's the, it's the really a break away from a, and to really reset that, that cognitive bias of anchoring as to what's the environment look like? You know, do you enjoy the people you work with? Do you enjoy the direction of the company? Uh, you know, one of the things that I think Meridian Bank does exceptionally well is what I refer to as community-adjusted EBITDA. Right? So we know what EBITDA is. That's, that's basically how companies, we keep score of company. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Uh, but community-adjusted EBITDA 
is basically realigning finance with a sense of purpose. So, for example, it's, you know, it's not just having profit to enrich ourselves, but to, to give back to the communities that we serve, you know, to, to be a part of, of nonprofits, both from sponsorship level and from a, uh, you know, and from, from a labor, a labor standpoint in terms of serving, actually serving. I, I worked with a person, I won't mention his name, but he's one of the largest philanthropists in the, um, in the Southeastern PA marketplace. And uh, he was a mentor for me because, you know, at one point, I was on the uh, you know uh, the, the business development for a nonprofit that I serve on, and and I had more or less had a dotted line to him. Super wealthy guy, uh, you would never know it by talking to him, and and a person that could have, from what his you know his grandfather's company had had begun, a certain uh, certainly a guy that could have been your quote unquote trust fund kid and just rested on his laurels and kicked his feet up. And I'll tell you, he was the toughest boss I ever worked for, but he insisted. He said, "My company, Alan, if you want to be in management." Everyone had to serve in the communities. Everyone had to serve on boards. Mm. That is that is a function of being a good. The corporation has to be a good corporate citizen, right? And and you, look, everyone could. We can't give lip service to it. We have to walk the talk. Right. It is, it is critical that we walk the talk towards that. So, I mean, I, I this bank is is a pound for pound. I mean, I, I tell this to nonprofits. I think we've you know we've. Pound for pound, given more than any bank I could ever think of that I've worked for. I mean, it's absolutely great. So, um, so that and by the way, when I looked at at the bank, that's one of the things that I judged them on their criteria. Um, you know, I was I had a really good thing going on, and uh, and I wanted to make sure that I, I want to go to a place that if if I raise my hand and say, hey, we should be involved in this, let's get involved in that. That it's not a penny pinching environment. Right. And, uh, you know what? What I can tell you about Chris, Chris. By the way, for for me, makes it really easy. And in terms of the team building, again, because our bank specializes really in the commercial space, Chris was doing what I was doing, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So he's been there. He's done everything that I've done. Regardless of what your business is, you know that building your brand is crucial, but it's also not easy. And good information about how to do it can be tough to find. That's why we put together an ebook called The Relationship Marketer's Guide to Branding which lays out a step-by-step process for creating a strong brand at a fraction of what bigger advertisers spend. Best of all, you can download it right now for free. Just go to ReminderMedia.com branding. That's ReminderMedia.com branding. Take action on this today. Do you think that's essential to building a great culture? You have to have leaders that have walked in the shoes of the people they lead? Not necessarily, okay. Uh, because you know it's you know you, you get back to sports. You know the best players don't make the best coaches, right? You know often the best coaches are the guys that uh, you know maybe never made it past the high school level. But I don't necessarily think that. I, I, I think if anything, it, it helps earn the respect initially. You know, I mean, you're going to have to earn your stripes, period. Right. You know, but but as a first impression, if a guy's been there, done that, and they're battle tested. Right off the bat, you know, the troops, if you will, are going to say, okay, you know, we, we could tip our hat. He has the experience. And a guy might get in and, and be the most selfish person imaginable versus a person that you're kind of leery of and saying, well, yeah, this guy's never done what I did. Uh, and the guy, the guy just flat out gets it. The guy, you know, understands, you know, you know, human behavior. He understands people. And, and look, I'm the firm believer, and I, I think this goes for any business that you're in. If you take a sincere and genuine interest in people, uh, and, and, and my case in the commercial banking space and, and also in the businesses that they run. And you do this on a consistent basis 
and you demonstrate it on a consistent basis with your actions, you're going to have a very long and rewarding career no matter what field you're in. But it, but it starts with taking a sincere and genuine interest in people. So you know, the guy could have been the best banker in the world if he if he if you feel like it's a it's it's a, like a you know a blank stare when he talks to you versus actually caring. Right. Um, you're going to work harder for the guy that really you feel has your back. It's interesting because you know what you're saying. If if I'm catching what you're laying down, which I think I am, because I, I tend to agree, your culture is going to come from your ultimate like really vision of how you want to what you want to accomplish yep. and your yep. mission and core values that you stand for. And it's yep. harder, you know, a lot of the the people that listen to this podcast, you know, they're smaller companies. They might have, you know, a couple people on their teams and stuff like that. So it's, you know, in the beginning, you don't even have on paper what you stand for. It just kind of is. I, I know even yeah. at Reminder Media, what, it was three years ago or something like that? We had, what, we're on our 15th year, 16th year? Yes, uh, well, 17th so, as 17th, Reminder Media. Yeah, yeah 17th so. as Reminder Media. And it was yes. only three, three, four years ago that, that we, we did core values. Yeah, that we did core values. But it didn't mean we didn't have them. We were still small mm. and it was yes. sort of passed on very organically and, and word of mouth. And then it got to the point where, hey, we hit this, we hit this number and we couldn't pass that from the Correct. top leadership anymore. We had to lay it out on paper and really think about what it was. And and we spent a lot of time lot grilling of time. our CEO to find out kind of, hey, what do you, how do we how yes. do we get what you've instilled in all of us organically onto a sheet of paper? Yep. How do we make it to where it is that you can incentivize it, discipline on it? Like you don't want to create your culture around carrots and sticks, mm -hmm. but you have yeah. to yeah. build structures of carrots and sticks to yeah. lead an organization. I'm yeah. curious in your career with your team and then as you look back on kind of your life, I'm curious like how do you implement – culture, not understanding what the culture is, but then, okay, this is where, and let's just use a real estate agent as an example. This is where you want your company to be, but how do they implement that on a day-to-day? -day? Like, what are some of the things that you do with your team from an execution standpoint to make sure the culture is being indoctrinated? Yeah, that, that's a great question because, you know, you walk into almost any business and they've got the, you know, the core values uh, right in the lobby. Of the business, and you know, for the most part, most core values look relatively the same, and less the golden rule uh, is you know, the, the the common denominator in all of them. Uh, the first thing you have to do is you have to define the mission, the why we work, the you know what what fuels the team, what's the what's the passion there, um, and a, a way to do that to implement that uh, from an execution standpoint is you want to create either you know you know call it cultural champions, cultural ambassadors, guys that aren't management or gals that aren't management. And, uh, you know, but it's, you think back to, again, sports teams, you know, the, the, the good teams, there's always, a, you know, hockey, I played hockey. So there's the guy to see on the sweater. Okay, naturally, he's the captain. We understand that when he speaks, A, he's A, earned the right, but he's going to parrot what the coach is saying, what he's asking. But if you notice that the really good teams, they'll utilize a handful of players, that don't have the C on their sweater, don't have the A on their sweater, that people would say, so when they speak and, and the coach goes to them and says, look, you know, I need you to, you know, this is important for us uh, to, you know, to rally the troops around and, and you're not quote unquote in management, you know, so in, so now all of a sudden you're empowering people that aren't in management, 
you know, now all of a sudden they step up, you know, well, you know, that, you know, the coach looked at me and said, uh, you know, let's, I, I need you to, to help inspire people. Now all of a sudden that person is, is going to be, they're automatically going to elevate their game. Yeah. So right off the bat, it's, you know, again, it's defining the mission, what, what fuels the team, the why of what we do for work and, um, and, and creating those, you know, the cultural champions that you have. Next is you want to create, you want to prioritize your people by creating a, an internal focus. Now, in, in businesses, it's a little different where we, we try to create an internal and external focus. And the external focus is just simply saying, you know, to the business owners that we bank, um, you know, hey, let's let's put together events or roundtables where they can get together. We can talk about anything but business. You know, we, we can just talk about, hey, what are you seeing in the market? How can we help you, uh, you know, more more from just an, an ease of doing business, but it's not a product push or anything like that. Now, internally, this is something, so every business has a marketing plan. Now, internally, what I feel really works really well is you want to take, carve out a percentage of your marketing plan. And what you want to do is start matching charitable donations for people. Obviously, they have to be on organizations that are kosher with, uh, with your, the company's values. Um, you know, but you could basically incentivize. So, you know, you know, Sally and accounts payables, uh, you know, comes in and just punches a time card, you know, and then all of a sudden feels that, um, you know, and it's just, you know, quite frankly, when you're in a back office role, I'm fortunate where I can control my earnings destiny, right. you know, I'm on, I'm on the front lines, but when you're in a back office role, the only way you ever get a, a pay raise is by just jumping around. Right. Right. So you move and you move and then of course, turnover, as you guys know, is the absolute biggest killer for businesses that, yep. That not only impacts, we, we all know what impacts the bottom line. I think there's about studies that say it's about one and a half times that person's salary is just sunk loss cost. But it also impacts the top line, too, because now you're you're losing continuity, you're impacting morale, the whole nine yards. So one of the things to do, especially with back office, is to simply say, hey, look, we're going to match. You know, if, you know, if, uh, you know, cancer is very important and you need someone in your life impacted by cancer, which I, you know, I think unfortunately now everyone could say that. Uh, in this day and age, you know, hey, look, if you're sponsoring something, you know, if you're going to throw a thousand dollars at that, we as a business, we're, we're going to match that. You know, so now all of a sudden you've raised an extra thousand dollars just by just by being here and playing on our team. Hmm. You know, so that that's one way. And and again, that gets back to the community adjusted EBITDA. You know, the, the giving back. So now all of a sudden you're you're now making a person you know very happy. They're not going to be banging at your door annual review season, demanding a raise and threatening to leave if they don't get their raise. They're going to say, oh, you know, this, this, this place actually cares about people. And they care about people, um, you know, a, a greater good mm. than, than just simply making money because that's money that they could have pocketed themselves. Uh, next is you want to, I, I like to call this, it's more or less developing an agility through, through problem solving. So if you think back to like the escape the rooms, yeah. you know, where you get a collection of people, all right, here's your, here's your puzzle. So what I find is now I have blind spots. I've done commercial lending my for the most part my entire career. So I, I look at things in a, in a very certain way. So when we have as a business, uh, and, and this again helps promote uh, camaraderie, teamwork, but more importantly, besides that, you know, uh, it it allows people to if you have a, a you know a corporate challenge or. Uh, something that's impacting your business. You know, for instance, in commercial banking, any bank out there is going to say, we need deposits. We need deposits. We need deposits. Because deposits, really, that's the fuel for the money that we put on the street. Right. right? It's, it's still, at the end of the day, it's always a basic savings and loan kind of model for, for banks. Uh, 
And when you, you know, develop an agility by creating, taking a look at a challenge and then bringing people from different groups. So using banking as an example, you know, if it's looking for how do we increase deposits and any overall customer experience, because experience is a big role of why people bank with where they bank. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's always that percentage are just going to be rates, rates, rates. It's really, believe it or not, it's a very small percentage out there, thankfully. Uh, I know in mortgage banking, consumer mortgage banking, it's a little bit different. But in the commercial space, rate is, is very, very relative. I would make the point that's across all industries. People care way more about experience than they do about the rate. They just want a good, yeah, they just want a good experience um, yeah. when they're shopping price. They don't even yeah. mind paying more. They just don't want to feel like you're ripping them off. Yep. But, I know I certainly do. Yeah, as long as you're as yeah. long as your market, it's as you're not ripping me off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that is so what we what we do with in terms of these cross cultural workshops. It's you take a common problem and you get people from various groups working on one thing per quarter, and it allows you to look at things from multiple angles. You know, multiple angles, multiple perspectives. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, people feel. Man, look, we want all of our employees. To feel empowered, right, engaged, uh, and energized, and, and that's a way of saying, "Hey, look, I know I'm, I'm contributing to something," and, and then that leads to the transparency. People have to be transparent. Now, I know with privately held business, you now we're a publicly traded company, so you know anyone could look at our stock, and anyone could you know review our financial information should they should they choose to. Right. But for privately held company, I do understand that they might not want to share their bottom line. It's completely understandable. But at the end of the day, what what I saw works very very well is when you have a quarterly a town hall, which is a state of the union, it's just, hey, you know, it's the president of the corporation, and, uh, you know, he brings people together and just says, hey, look, just want to discuss the quarterly numbers. And even if you just focus on top line and a few key metrics within from an operational expense standpoint, so, you know, imagine sitting there and you say, hey, look, you know, grew the top line by, you know, 8%. You know, congratulations to you know, Mike and his team. You know, you could, you were the you know, the, you know what they were the honey badger of that particular quarter, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and then you know, hey, look, you know, Mary over, you know, Mary found a way to to digitalize this particular product, and that resulted in a you know twelve percent savings. You know, and then all of a sudden, Mary feels like, wow, okay, yeah, I, I you know I feel pretty good. Otherwise, it was just I was given a task and didn't know why I was doing it. And uh, you know, you just put your head down and, and okay, yes, boss, and, and go ahead and do it. Now you kind of realize. So now the next time that happens, you know, again, using the transparency town hall model, it's just like, hey, look, I know when, uh, you know, the boss is asking me to do something, you know, this is this is helping us all, hmm. you know. And again, you know, you're, you're communicating what you're doing with, within the markets that you serve, how you're helping people. And you're aligning, you're aligning everybody back to the vision and the mission. Yeah. When, when a lot, I mean, I'm glad you used the word alignment because alignment is absolutely huge. I mean, we're all on a path. Right, and we're all marching in the, in the, in the same direction, and uh, you, you want to make sure that as you know, as sometimes becomes a little bit disorganized, and people start walking around, that everyone is 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 is, you know, is towing the line, and and they understand, and, yeah. and of course, it goes back to the vision. You have to have the vision. What are you walking for? You're not walking Correct. for the sake of walking. You're but you're doing that, and then finally, what I think is, uh, I find that be really really helpful is a mentorship program uh, within organizations, like you know, for instance, me. It would be, you know, taking me and I have two other counterparts within the greater Philadelphia market out there who are out in the burbs. And it's, you know, sitting down, you know, once a quarter and just, you know, basically being like if I sat in with, with Chris Annis, who's our CEO, sat in with Chris and just say, hey, Chris, what's an initiative that you're working on? And, and this was part of the program. 
what's an initiative that you're working on? So that allows me to ask the why. Well, why do we do it this way? Why is this important to you? You know, you, you start to see the bigger picture. You know, seeing the bigger picture is absolutely critical. And then as you're kind of rotating amongst different departments, you kind of, you're, you're, as you start to go up to senior management as you're grooming them for your next generation, because again, it all dates back to attract and retain people. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to, I think, attract than it is to retain, believe it or not. So this allows people to say, oh, okay, you know, I, I see, I at least see training. I don't know what the future holds for me within the organization, but I, I do see my skill set improving and I do see them taking an active interest in doing, in doing this for me. Uh, so that's where I think the mentorship program helps. And then conversely, when you are a mentor to people, and I used to be a mentor to the small business uh, group uh, at, a, at a prior bank. And it, it, quite frankly, it really makes you step up your game. So when you're saying, yeah, you know, we're going out there, we're making this many sales calls a week, it's kind of like, well, you know what I, now I actually I've been a little relaxed do doing that. <laughs> you know? so, but it really does. So you basically, and you could pinpoint within any organization, you could pinpoint the guys that you say, yeah, you know, I look at Sam over there and, you know, I think Sam could, he's, he's talented, but he's not, you know, becoming the best Sam that he could be as an employee. But I know that if I have a mentor, someone, and, and you, you, know, you pull Sam aside, hey, Sam, look, you do a really great job doing all the sales calls. And meanwhile, that guy's doing the bare minimum, but you know he's capable of more. Hey, you do a great job of doing some sales calls. And you know what I want you to do is work, work with these guys and tell them, how do, you, how do you get in the door of businesses? You know, Once you're in the door of the businesses, what, what are you doing? Walk. And all of a sudden, the guy starts to say, well, you know, i got, I got to start walking the talk. I'm mentoring people, training right. people. You know, this is, you know, hey, this is how you do it, guys. Now, I've uh, seen that same I, okay, effect. I've seen that the same effect in our organization is when we have people mentor or train, we have a mentorship program in our sales team. Uh, when we have them train, it's one thing to do. It's another thing to teach. Like you have to be yes. a master of your craft to be able to teach yes. versus yep. just a performer of your craft to really to really yep. do. So I, I totally yep. agree. I also would make the point to the audience listening that a lot of the tips you're giving in building a great culture, I think it, st it stems from this common theme of communication. As I look back on yeah. even our own company, Reminder Media, where things break down is lack of clarity and communication. It's where things yeah. always fall apart. It's people's perspective versus what really is reality. And unfortunately, yeah. their perspective is reality. And, and you know, it's yeah. their reality. And you end up having yeah. bad communication, which ends up crumbling a team. And unfortunately, yeah. nine times out of 10, what really is taking place doesn't really matter. And it's so small, yeah. but it's a lost cause yeah. because the communication gets yeah. so poor. And that's what's so sad. You're so right, because communication and feedback have to be frequent. They really have to be frequent. And... You know, even with businesses that we call on, and you probably do the same within your industry, it's you're establishing those those working agreements, and we establish the working agreements with um, if-then statements. Now, if you know, if I or we do this for you, then you will do this action, right? Right. And it's you know, it's 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 establishing that uh, that common bond, that currency that you have between. You feel like you have skin in the game. You know, hey, look, this is their expectations of me. So we have to be clear with our expectations. These were expectations, um, and, and it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. As soon as people realize it's not a two-way street, then off they go. Right. Uh, it has to be a two-way street. I mean, I look, at the end of the day, one of the things I love about my role is when I've got guys on my team and, you know, the life of a commercial banking when you're in, in front of a, a credit committee is a little bit like Shark Tank, you know, in the sense that uh, I, I could say that's another program, right? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but it's always a little bit like like that. I mean, you're, you're going out there, you're pitching. I've got XYZ manufacturing company. Here's what right. they do, and here's how the here's an opportunity arose, and here's what we want to do, and all that. And all the all the credit officers, you know, that are that are you know all very stern looking at you. Uh, you're going and doing that, and, and one of the things that I pride myself on, and, and I really, really enjoyed, and, and unfortunately, I work for people that don't always do this, uh, so I, I see the negative side of not doing this. Is, hey man, we're in the foxhole together, you know. So when you're when you're going and you're pitching that credit to the bank, you know that I got your back. You know, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to fight for you just as I'm going to fight for that credit just as hard as you're going to fight for it. You know, and and it's just that knowing you have that. I mean, knowing you have people above you that have got your back on thing. I mean, just the morale. Not only you leave that, I mean, what's the worst thing? I mean, think about in, in, in any sales job for that matter. If all you're being told is go out there and bring in business, bring in business, and, and all of a sudden no one likes the business. Oh, we don't like it. Go, go, go out and find the next one. And uh, I think you guys will appreciate there's a sales joke that goes like this. There's a uh, there's a, uh, an, an army platoon camped out on a beach behind a, behind a dune, and the commanding officer says, Smith, come over here. I want you to cross over this uh, this dune uh, in this jeep with a machine gun, and I need you to spray the the infantry on the other side. And he says, you know, yes, Captain. He gets in his jeep, he goes over the dune. Well, well, lo and behold, there's not infantry there. There's ten tanks, right? <laughs> so there's ten tanks. So he takes out his grenades and he starts throwing the grenades. Well, he takes out nine of the tanks. The tenth tank shoots a missile into the jeep, blows up the jeep. He survives. He's a bloody mess. He crawls off the top of the dune, gets there. Commanding officer says, Smith, what happened? And he says, well, when I went over there, there wasn't infantry. There were 10 tanks. I blew up nine of the tanks. And the commanding officer says, well, what about the 10th tank? And while we're at it, where's my Jeep? Right? <laughs> and so, so as, as soon as salespeople begin to feel like, wow, this is what it's like working here, you know? So it's yeah. That's a super valid point, man. Super. Yeah, valid imagine point. the momentum of like you know, hey, look, you go out there. Now, I mean, again, even from our world, we try to establish parameters. Of, you know, businesses that really profile for the work that we do. Right. You know, unfortunately, we can't be generalists. There's just some things that are just kind of outside the box. Uh, but if I think you know, I I, I kind of stay in my lane. Correct. I stay in my lane. There are certain industries that I do really well, and I like to do that. And and again, if I'm servicing my customers very well. Those guys are all testimonials. Well, that's another key to, to leading a high-performance team is finding out where everybody's gifts and talents are. If, if anybody's mm -hmm. read the book Good to Great, you know, it talks yep. about this concept of your company's a bus. It's about getting the right people on the bus. But more yep. importantly than that, it's about getting them in the right seat of the bus. So let me ask you this, Alan, because right. you know, I'm always interested to ask everybody who comes on the podcast – you know, what okay. their take is on this question, because, you know, I have spent so many years of my life really searching for what are the formulas to success? I've kind of become a junkie when it comes to the top three things you need to do to become Warren Buffett type idea. Now, I know there's no magic formula. I tell people that all the time, but I do believe successful people implement routines in their life. They implement mm -hmm. habits in their life that have driven success. And I'm just curious for you, as you look back now that you're running a whole team, where you've come from, what are the routines that you implement day in and day out that has driven success for you? Well, I'll, I'll echo what uh, Jocko says. I'm a, I'm a huge Jocko fan that uh, discipline equals freedom. And, and it really does. I, I do have a routine in the morning. Uh, and, and quite frankly, if I get thrown off that routine for whatever reason, my, my day you know, just seems, it seems like the day controls me versus me controlling the day. Mm. And, and that routine is I wake up at 4.30. 
And, uh, you know, by the way, I actually asked this in interview questions. What time do you wake up and how do you spend your morning? Uh, that's important to me. So that's I wake a up great interview question. Yeah. That's yeah. a great interview question. It tells me a lot. I, if I, you know, I wake up at 8.30 and I roll out of bed and, and go to work. And, well, so I work up at 4.30 every morning. And it's more of a, it's a structure that's, you know, mind, body, soul. All right. So I wake up. I, I, I go downstairs. I get immediately, because at 4.30 it's tough waking up, especially in the mornings uh, during the winter. And I'm going to cool. go to the gym. So what I immediately do is I jump out of bed. I throw on my workout outfit. So now it's, you know, especially when you lace up the sneakers, Game it's a whole time. lot tougher to get back in bed. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I get, then I go downstairs, and you know, as I'm making my coffee, I read a book. I read a business book. So I, I think the overarching secret is continuous improvement and continuous learning, never staying pat where you're at. So I read a business book. You know, Right now I'm reading a book called um, Strategy That Works. Great book. Uh, next, that's on, you know, the, on the, in the batters, you know, on deck, if you will. It's, uh, it's Blue Ocean Strategy. So that's, that's next for me. Pretty, it's one of those books I'm pretty familiar with, but I actually, never actually read it. Yeah. So that's on. So I read that. Then I go to the gym, you know, so the mind part is, is reading that. And then I go to the gym. And, you know, I live in South Philadelphia, so I'm able to walk to a gym. And, uh, you know, I, I go to the gym and I come back and I, I watch a 15 minute sports program for local, local Philadelphia sports. And uh, so I, you know, I can at least understand what's, what's going on in the Philadelphia sports scene. Uh, then it's it's coming back, and I go upstairs and I, I read scripture. So I, I you know I focus on that, and that's the soul aspect. You know I'm you know I'm always looking to to you know for for maturity and you know an evolution of myself. Both you know not only you know from a physical standpoint. You know as you get older, there's just different things you have to do to you know stay in shape and stay fit. Uh, and obviously from a business standpoint, and then just from a personal standpoint. You know, so those those things are, are important to me. Then I happen to shower, and by the time I'm out of the shower, I am. I feel like I've completed good a to day's go. work. <laughs> I am good to go. I am good to go. Now, that's awesome. So what would you go back and tell younger Alan? That's my last question for you. What would you go back? What advice would you give knowing what you know now and what you've experienced? So I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. Uh, I'll be brief. I have no regrets. But uh, a million, probably a million, you know, squared of, uh, of mistakes. But uh, but for those mistakes, it's maybe who I am today. Mm. Um, so I, I, I would say nothing at all. Mm. Um, I would say mistakes are the results of active doing people. And that's quite frankly what it is. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to take risks. And, um, you know, that's that's the only that's way we ever grow. That's great yeah. advice, man. That's great, great some, by the way, real quick, some of the best advice I was ever given is the only way to really grow, both personally and professionally, is to do the things that you're not comfortable doing. Yeah. The minute that you just continually do the things you're comfortable doing, you, you never grow outside of that box. Yeah, when you constantly so keep doing things that are uncomfortable for you, they then become comfortable, then find the next challenge. Right. And, 100%. and that is so true in, in, in every aspect. Yeah. Well, dude, Alan, thank you so much for being here. There's a lot of great takeaways there lined yeah, really up in great. terms of just how to start looking at what a high performance team could look like, how that's driven by culture, how to get started and actually put it into action. Before we close, let people know where they can connect with you. Uh, the best way to connect with me is uh, my, my work email address, which is a Berkeley, a B U R K L E Y at Meridian banker, all one word.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard today here on Stay Paid, please go on to iTunes, throw us a five-star rating, and let somebody else know about the podcast. You can also find our podcast in video 
on staypaidpodcast.com. And if you'd like to get hold of me or Luke, please check us out on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast on Instagram as well. And of course, you can check out Reminder Media on social media. We're at Reminder Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest for this episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike. And guys, my name's Luke. And I will tell you, go back and listen to this podcast again, because as you actually dive into the details of what Alan's saying, he actually really has laid out a really firm foundation for how you build a good culture and good organization. And I know it because over the last so many years of trying to lead Reminder Media, so many of the suggestions he gave, like a quarterly meeting, we've implemented a quarterly meeting. A mentorship program, we've implemented a mentorship program. These type of things that he gave and tips that maybe you missed in just listening to the story, these are the things that actually Reminder Media has failed at and started to implement and we've seen more success. But here's your action item because I think it's the most critical in order to start building a high-performance team and ultimately a culture. Is your culture Culture is going to flow from what you believe. So you first need to figure out what is it that you believe in and what is it that you want to accomplish. And one of the things that Alan said at the beginning of the podcast, which I think is super powerful, that it has to be more than just a materialistic thing. And the longer I go about my life and the longer I lead teams, the more I realize how true that is. You must state really clearly to yourself, why are you in this game? What is that why, maybe you call it? What is that belief? What is that vision that you're after to see the world? Define that, and then you must commit yourself to that. And out of that commitment and that obsession and that evangelistic attitude towards that commitment to your vision, your culture will naturally develop. First, take action putting that down on paper and you'll start seeing yourself being able to develop a great culture, a high-performance team. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every business is a top producer doesn't just listen to state-paid podcasts. A top producer actually puts it into action, so take action on that today.